So this is part two in a new series of messages that I started last week called Heaven Better Than You Imagined. I want to ask you the question, when you hear the word heaven, what do you visualize? What comes to mind when you think about going to heaven someday? Maybe it's kind of like this image here that's going to come up on the screen. I know that's how I thought about it for a long time. It seemed very otherworldly, really ethereal, something somewhere else and very unimaginable. But I got good news for you. Based on what I talked about last Sunday, Romans chapter 8 tells us that God is not sending us someplace else. God is bringing to pass a new creation. This earth is going to be created brand new again. This new creation that God is bringing to pass is a renewal of both the heavens and the earth. Now, heaven, then, is not beyond our ability to imagine. And the Bible actually gives us lots of hints about what heaven is going to be like. And yet, it's still going to be beyond our wildest imaginations in a lot of ways. The Bible only gives hints of it. And so we have glimpses into it. But we know this is it's going to be a lot better than this life and even the best day of your life in this present age. In fact, this is what I said last Sunday, your next life will be your best life, and you should be encouraged by that. In fact, it's so good, this next life that God has for us, that all of our suffering and all of our disappointment in this life will seem like it's nothing in comparison. And so if we knew how good it was going to be, really, we would want to go right now. Some of you are ready any moment and anxious like Audrey. Now, there's a story. Sunday school teacher gets up, class of boys and girls. He said, hey kids, who wants to go to heaven? And all the kids' hands shoot up except for one little boy, Freddie. And the teacher looks at Freddie, and Freddie's sitting there kind of with a puzzled look on his face, looking a little bit uncertain. And he says, Freddie, don't you want to go to heaven? He goes, uh, yeah, I think so. And he said, well, why didn't you put your hand up? And he said, well, my mom made chocolate cake for dessert after supper, and I, I don't want to miss out on it. And so in his mind, there was something on earth that he thought would be missed out on that might, heaven might not be able to compete with. And that's how we are a lot. In Romans chapter 8 last week, I talked about how... Um, the hope that the Christian has is one that we long for. Our hope is not in what this world can bring us and offer us. It really isn't. Um, and so the Bible describes our hope as a groaning that we have. You know, sort of like when we're just longing for a better life. We're longing for the world to come. As we look around us, 2020, has this been a hard year? It's been a hard year for the world. It's been harder for some people than for others. And we groan to be beyond this pandemic, to be beyond all the economic and political chaos around us. We long for a better world. And the Bible talks about that. It calls a groaning in, chapter, in Romans chapter 8. And, but it says we also eagerly anticipate it. And so it's kind of like when I was a kid on Christmas Eve, 
I can hardly wait for Christmas morning. And it's kind of like heaven is like that. We're like that kid on Christmas Eve. Like, I can hardly wait for heaven to arrive. And so before I became a Christian, I knew one thing for sure. If there was a hell, I did not want to go there. Um, I knew that someday I was destined to die. And now I know, of course, you know, if the Lord returns before then, then great. But I know, I thought, okay, someday I'm going to die. Um, and I also knew that for the Christian, we were promised life in heaven, eternal life. But to be honest, for many years of my Christian life, this idea of heaven, the promise of heaven, seemed like a very remote concept and actually not all that interesting. Um, and so you might have had similar thoughts. And maybe you're sitting here today and you might give lip service to wanting to go to heaven when you die, but do you really? Uh, how many of you remember the game show, Let's Make a Deal? Yeah, a few. Okay, a few of the older, even some of the younger crowd remember that. Monty Hall was the well-known popular host of that show. And basically what would happen is there was like, I think there was door number one and door number two. And suppose that you are made the offer, well, door number one uh, could be heaven or it could be hell. Door number two could be heaven or it could be hell. Which one are you going to pick? And you're not sure which one. Now, I know for me, the way I used to be, and my concept of heaven is not that interesting, was, well, can't I just stay here? You know, I, could I just stay on earth except um, I would like it to be uh, minus the hatred, minus the violence, minus the pain, and minus the suffering. I would just assume just stay right here. Well, hang on a second to that thought. It's... What, so what this says to me is, because heaven seems so uh, unclear to us and otherworldly, um, hard to get our hands around, um, is I thought about this when I go traveling, and my wife and I have done a lot of traveling, many of you have. We usually, when we go to another destination, a place that we've never been to, last, this last June we were to go to Portugal. And of course that was canceled because of the pandemic. And... Um, and we're still trying to get our money back on the, anyway, um, like a lot of you. But uh, anyway, we were to go to Portugal, but you know what we do is we study the place a little bit. You know, we look at what things we can look forward to. And I, I always look at the climate, you know, and how much sunshine and rain they're going to get during the time of year that we're going to be there. And that makes me more eager to go. So you need to learn more about this life to come. Learn more about heaven and the new creation that God is going to bring to pass. And so for us, this sort of lip service we give to heaven is kind of like an elephant in the room. We often don't talk about um, heaven. It's more like, God, what have you done for me lately on this earth? And so in this series of messages, I hope that we can um, demystify the concept of heaven and debunk some of the common misconceptions that people have about it. So last week we studied Romans 8. Today we're going to turn, if you've got a Bible, to Isaiah chapter 65. If you want to turn in your Bible to that. Isaiah 65, and it's beginning at verse 17. And Pastor Blaine read that to us this morning. And so, this is what it says in verse 17. I'm reading for the New International Version of the Bible. See, I will create, God says, I will create new heavens and new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. 
For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight, and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem. Take the light in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. Now, there's only three places in the Bible where the expression, the new heavens and new earth, are found. In what I just read, Isaiah 65, in the next chapter, the last chapter of Isaiah 66, and not again until the book of Revelation, right near the end of the Bible, Revelation 21. Um, now, we do find the pairing of the words heaven and earth in other places, just not with the word new heavens and new earth. Like in Genesis, what does it say in Genesis chapter 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everybody's afraid to talk in here or you know, to say anything too loud because of uh, COVID. Anyway, you can be enthusiastic. I, I can see your mask moving if your lip, you know, just using your lips. Okay, you can do that. Um, so here's what I want to ask you. If God is promising a new heavens and a new earth, what does he mean by the word new? In the Greek version of the Old Testament, it uses, there's two words for the word new in the Greek language, the ancient Greek language. One of those words is neos, and the other is kainos. And this word kainos actually means new and improved. When God says, I'm creating a new heavens and a new earth, he's not saying like it's never existed before. He's saying it's going to be new and improved. And so what does God mean then when he says, I will create a new heavens and a new earth? Does he mean um, that it's going to be a whole new universe with this planet in it? Um, if not, what's he talking about? Where will this take place? Who is this promise for? Who is he making this promise to? What will the new heavens and earth be like? What kind of blessings would we experience in it? And when will all of this take place? So I want to look at that one question is, who is this promise made to? In Isaiah, now stay with me on this. In Isaiah 65, God is specifically making a promise to his chosen people, the Jews. They were his covenant people. And what he is describing when he says, I will create a new heavens and new earth, is he's describing the restoration of Judah, of his people, after they come out of Babylonian exile. That's what this promise was for, specifically for those people in that time. So what kind of blessings was it going to include? Well, God called Israel to be a model nation on earth, to be a living example of what the good life would look like. They were to be a light to the world, an inspiration to the other nations. They were to be the envy of the nations, kind of like the United States of America has been all over the world for a long, long time. It's a description here of the good life. That's what we read about in Isaiah 65, a life of peace, of joy, of prosperity, of blessing, of security, and long life. So the question is, God was promising that to his people. Did it ever happen? 
When was it supposed to take place? Well, we have to remember that God's promises in the Bible are conditional. When he promised them all these blessings that we read about in Isaiah 65, God was saying, and it was implicit in this passage, that this would come to pass if his people would remain faithful to their covenant and walk in obedience to his commands. The prophecy would only be fulfilled if the conditions were met. And so the Lord was saying, if you will just honor me, trust me, and live in the way that I've taught you to live, this will be the closest thing to heaven on earth that you can ever enjoy. But they never met the conditions, and this promise has never been fulfilled. The new heavens and earth that Isaiah talks about in this passage describes kind of like a utopian world. The closest thing you could ever find on this planet in this age. And um, so it's interesting. I said that there was three places where the expression new heavens and new earth were found. Isaiah 65, Isaiah 66, and then at the end of the Bible, Revelation 21. I want to just read you this. In Revelation 21, John the Apostle has a vision. And this is what he says. I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. And look at verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne, meaning God, said, I am making everything new. Kainos, new and improved. Isaiah's prophecy was not a description of heaven, the life to come in the coming age. It wasn't. His prophecy was not the same as the one that John the Apostle's making here. Um, and so you might be saying, well, Pastor, why, why are you preaching on Isaiah 65 then if it's not about heaven? Here's the reason why. Um, because his prophecy, as all the prophecies were, was a signpost that pointed to that time when everything would be made perfect. When everything wrong in the world would one day be made right. You see, God's revelation to human beings, and when you read the prophecies of the Old Testament... They've always been progressive. There were things that Jesus taught us in the Gospels that the prophets knew nothing about. There were things the Apostle Paul taught us that they didn't know anything about. It was progressive revelation. The prophets didn't always understand the full significance of the things that they said and wrote. They didn't always understand the timing of it, when these things would take place. They knew, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, they knew in part and they prophesied 
in part. When we read Isaiah 65, we're reading a part of what was to come. It wasn't completely revealed. And so when John writes in Revelation, I saw a new heavens and a new earth. What he saw was Isaiah's vision brought to perfection. So I want to take a closer look at Isaiah 65, and we're just going to do this fairly quickly. Verse 20 says this, Never again will there be in it, in this new heavens and earth, an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred would be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. Here he's talking about longevity. Isaiah's vision was one of longevity. You're going to live a long life. And guess what? There won't be stillborn babies. Infants won't die in their infancy. There won't be sickness and disease and injury. Here's the second thing that he talks about. Look at verses 21 and 22. He says, They will build houses and dwell in them. They'll plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, like getting repossessed or another nation coming in and taking over their property. Or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. They will be a people blessed of the Lord. What he's saying here is it will be, he's talking about productivity, not only longevity, but productivity, prosperity. They will get to enjoy the fruit of their labor. You'll build and you'll get to enjoy that. You'll plant and you'll get to savor that for a long time. And then in verses 18 and 19, he says, But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For I will create Jerusalem, listen to this, to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. And then in verse 24, he says, Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. He's talking here about fulfillment. He's saying there will be fulfillment, there will be contentment in this new heavens and new earth. And then in verse 25, he says, The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. It won't be a predator anymore. The dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. He's talking here about a time of peace. There will be no violence, no hatred, no war. He's saying even the animals will get along and one will not prey on the other. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, he says. So Isaiah is describing the good life, a life of blessing and prosperity in a restored land. They were coming out of exile and their land, the holy land, would be restored to them with Jerusalem at its center. But in his prophecy, creation itself is still under the curse. And 
In a sense, God's people were living in a bubble of blessing, even with all the chaos going on around them. And so when we get to John's revelation, in Revelation chapter 21, here's what carries over from Isaiah to John. There's still productivity. Did you know that in heaven you could be productive? I think Jeremy would be happy about that. You're a productive guy. You'll still be prosperous. Did you know that there's fulfillment and joy and contentment in the life to come? And there's peace. It, it talks about an absence of hatred and violence in the age to come. So that carries over. But there's some things that are new in John's revelation that we read about in Revelation 21. In Isaiah's prophecy, it implies that sin will still exist. And there might even be sinners who may not make it past 100 years old. <laughs> they would be considered accursed. It's kind of implied in there. But in John's vision, in Revelation 21, there is no sin. There is no more sinner. sinners in that age to come. And in Isaiah's prophecy, God promises long life, longevity. You'll live out your years. Nobody will die in infancy and so on. But in John's vision, there is no death. We live for eternity. That's a big difference between Isaiah and John. And here's some, something that some of you will maybe appreciate. John doesn't talk about this in Revelation 21, but Jesus did. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said in the at the resurrection and in the coming kingdom, there will be no more marriage. They're neither married nor given in marriage. And some of you are going like, yes! Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're in an unhappy marriage, you might think that's a good thing. Isaiah is describing the good life in a restored land, the holy land. But here's the difference. John is describing the good life in a restored earth, not just the holy land, a restored earth and a new creation. And so some of you who really know your Bible, you're thinking about this. You're maybe thinking about, well, what about 2 Peter chapter 3? where it says this, beginning at verse 10. It says, The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Everything will be destroyed. And then in verse 12 of that passage, it says, The destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Whoa, you're saying, well, I thought that the earth and this whole creation and the whole universe is just going to be destroyed. So, Brian, why are we talking about a new heavens and new earth? Well, God, because God said there would be. And it's found in more places that I've mentioned in this message. Here's the point. The Apostle Paul died. He's gone. He's turned to dust. He's gone. It's like he's been obliterated. But he will be raised, immortal, imperishable. Whatever God does with this creation, 
He is going to renew it. It's kind of like if there's a raging forest fire and it destroys that in all those trees, all that um, vegetation, after a number of years, it begins to come back again. God is going to renew the earth. And he is going to bring to pass a new creation. It's kind of like a caterpillar to a butterfly. The butterfly is not creepy. Like, I don't like caterpillars. I love butterflies. And so that's why Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In the vision of John in Revelation 21, heaven, the new Jerusalem, comes down. And the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the, the Lord. And God will live here among his people. Isaiah's prophecy was a prophecy for this time, this present age, for his people if they would just get it right. And he makes that to us, to us as well. We can taste of it now. We can taste of it if we would just live right. But now God promises us something that's far beyond what was revealed to the prophets of the Old Testament. He promises us a new heavens and a new earth in which there'll be no sin, no curse, no hatred, no racism, no violence, no disease, no politics. That's because there'll be just one king, Jesus, and no death. So God is not giving up on this earth and this creation. This life is not as good as it gets. Your next life is your best life. God promises us a new creation with a renewed earth. We will live an embodied existence. You will have a body but it'll be a resurrection body that will never grow old, get sick, or die. And in this life, we get the taste of it. We get glimmers of hope from God. In your best life, in your best day that you have in your life, that's like a foretaste of heaven. And God is saying, there will come a day when you'll be able to experience that for eternity. And so what I would like us to do is pray. And I want to, I've said this before, I hope that these are not considered just sermons or talks, but calls to action. And that's what I want this to be for us. This matters. What you think about the life to come, um, what you hope for in the life to come changes the way you live now in this present day. Would you please bow your head? Father, I want to thank you that you've not given up on us and that this life is not as good as it gets. That there is a new creation with a renewed earth and we'll live that embodied existence. And there'll be no weeping, no sorrow, no sin, no death. For those of us that are praying right now, here's what I would like you to do. Two things. One is look up. And I mean that as a posture for life. Just look up. Fix your gaze upward. Put your hope 
in heaven and the life to come, the new creation. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, this is our hope, and hope does not disappoint. You will not be disappointed if you live for the life to come. So don't lose heart. Fight the good fight and continue to labor for the Lord. It will be worth it. And the second thing is live heavenward. Um, live this kingdom life, the life that we're going to one day enjoy for eternity. Live in the good of it right now. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you through the Holy Spirit's presence and power in your life, you could taste of the powers of the age to come. This is a big deal. And just as we're still in prayer, I was reading this book by Mark Buchanan called Things Unseen. And in it, he said he was on a flight to Calgary and he found himself beside a woman who he remembered went to a church that he had gone to. And she was now living with a man she wasn't married to. And she hadn't been near a church in many years and she had no interest in all that God stuff, as she called it. And then, he, and then she said, well, let's be honest Church is boring. And now she began to tell him that she was frequenting nightclubs, bars, going to wild parties and so on because she thought that was the good life. And then she said, that is no big deal. And he thought about that. And as he thought about that, he thought, you know, this is a big deal. This life is a big deal because the decisions that you make now will set your eternity. They will determine your destiny. And so let's decide right now to look up as a posture of life and to live heavenward and to live for something bigger than ourselves, for someone bigger than ourselves, the Lord Jesus himself. And to fix our eyes on that goal. You won't be disappointed if you do this. Your reward is still waiting for you. It will be waiting for you. And all the pain and all the sacrifice of this life, you will one day say it was worth it all. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you for the promise of the new creation and a renewed earth. Thank you, Lord, that one day we will see you as you are and we will be transformed into your likeness. And we will enjoy this embodied life in the new creation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.